You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. And I've been going to the Ketchikan Naz for about a uh, year and a half now. Uh, moving to Alaska has been the best thing that could have ever happened to me and my family. I used to think I didn't have a testimony. Uh, I was raised in the church. When the church doors opened, I was there with my parents. So I thought, well, I have never been saved from all the horrible stories, you know, child abuse, drugs, alcohol, smoking. That, uh, was never a part of my life. Church was the center of my family's life. But it wasn't until June of 1960 that uh, it was a Sunday night service that I made a public dedication to the Lord. And uh, I could just sense the Holy Spirit in me and uh, there was a change. Uh, I tried to be a better son for my parents. I knew that was important. But uh, as I went through growing up, I um, uh, knew that God was with me and that I needed to please Him. That was my my purpose. I had to had to please God, and uh, so I always put Him first all through high school. Uh, growing up in the '60s, it was horrible. But my best friend and I, we became Christians about the same time, and so we decided that we were going to live for God and put Him first. So He kept us from all the drugs and the horrible stuff that you hear about that went on in the 60s. And uh, I always wanted to, to please, please God all my life. And in pleasing God brought joy real joy not happiness that came along with it but real joy from the Lord and all through the, my military career the joy was there every job I ever had I always had the joy because I put God first I always prayed that I would do his will and my will second and looking back over my life, I can see where God has directed my footsteps my entire life. Oh, I had troubles. I had uh, temptations. I had uh, heartaches, heartbreaks, just like everybody else. Trials, tribulations. But I've always put my faith in God because that's where my true joy came from. And that's it. <laughs> Everybody has a completely different journey and walk with God. And yet God enters into everyone's unique life and speaks to that person directly where they are. And I absolutely love that. I'm finding great amounts of encouragement uh, from uh, hearing these testimonies. I hope you all are too. Um, this morning we're in the book of... Oh, good. I'm glad you guys are with me this morning. Okay. We're in the book of Philippians. 
Um, and if you want to go ahead and stick your finger in chapter four, uh, we haven't even got to chapter one necessarily yet. We're going to focus our attention mostly in chapter four today with a little bit in chapter one. Now, uh, because as we go through the book of Philippians, we are hitting the major themes that Paul has in Philippians. Now, and he tends to reiterate the themes and focus them in different places. And so he kind of hits points all over the place. And so it looks a little sporadic, but we are going to cover the entire book over the course of the seven to eight weeks that we are here today. We're going to find our anchor in chapter four, uh, but there's a little bit in chapter one today. Um, I want to remind you, as I have every single week, uh, we have our family Bible over here on the wall. Every week, a little more color is added. Every week, a few more notes are added. Every week, another word is circled or underlined or a note is made, and I love that. And so I will remind you that at any point while I'm preaching, if God speaks to you and you think, man, this sticks out to me and I, I've never thought of this before, or man, this has always encouraged me and I want to use it to encourage somebody else, will you just please have the freedom to get up and come over here and grab a colored pencil and, and, and mark up our family Bible because we want to be encouraged by what God is showing you. Um, and we want to learn from what God is teaching you. And so go ahead and just do that. Feel free. Uh, it's not going to interrupt me or anybody else. And we want you to have the freedom to do that. Um, also, at any point during worship, uh, you can do that as well. It's not going to bother the team. Uh, we're worshiping Jesus. Everybody else is worshiping Jesus. You do that. If that means coming up here and marking on the Bible, feel free to do that. We want you to have the freedom to respond and interact with God's word in that way. Uh, this morning, we are going to learn what Paul considers to be uh, a significant key to joy. Um, uh, this whole entire book is about joy, and we found uh, the first week that joy is this overarching theme, but, but in joy, we find that Paul referenced in Christ, to Christ, of Christ, that everything seems to be centered around Christ. So that's the, the, the center of Paul's universe, and joy orbits around Christ, right? And so if we want joy in our life, we have to find it in Christ. And Paul gives us this uh, um, unique perspective on how to have joy, and it's his understanding of prayer. So we're going to talk about uh, Paul and his understanding of prayer today, and these are the two scriptures that we're going we're gonna to read this morning. Uh, I'm not giving a book reference because it's Philippians. So uh, chapter 1, 3 through 11, right? and chapter 4, 4 through 6, and I want to read both of these for you this morning. Um, and then and then we'll dive into the content. Man, this is more challenging than I thought it was going to be. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, for those of you who don't know, I hit my hand with a hammer. I tried to self-fix uh, it, and that doesn't work. Evidently, you have to go to the doctor for those things. It was too swollen, and now we're just waiting on x-rays. So that's why it looks worse than it did last week, because everybody made me go to the doctor. Um, <laughs> uh, that said, let's go ahead and pray and read the book of Philippians and ask the Lord to teach us something. Father, we are here this morning to hear from you. Um, we recognize that uh, the words that were written in uh, Paul's handwriting so many years ago and preserved down through the generations as the book of Philippians um, are your words to us. They are alive and active. Uh, they are present among us. And when we read these words, it is as if you are speaking them to us this morning. And so I pray we would hear your heart for us and your call upon our life and 
um, your love for us and the encouragement that Paul would give us to pray this morning. And so, uh, Lord, help us understand a life of prayer and a life centered in you via prayer. I ask that you would reveal our own hearts before you this morning. Speak to each one of us individually. Speak to us corporately as a body of believers. May we find unity in your spirit this morning. And, uh, and may we find confidence in you through prayer. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Paul, um, it's very interesting. I, I studied um, uh, the word prayer in the book of Philippians. And uh, in my other Bible, the big Bible that sits on my desk, uh, I couldn't hold one-handed. Um, I, I circled and underlined the word prayer. And, and it's interesting um, because it only happens in chapter 1 and chapter 4. Uh, prayer isn't mentioned in chapter 3 or chapter 2. I thought that was interesting. Uh, he starts off the book in prayer, or the letter in prayer. And he ends the book, or the letter, telling people to pray. So he's modeling for us a life of prayer, and then he's encouraging us to pray. And so I wanted to read the bookends, as it were, of this letter. The beginning of the book is in prayer. The end of the book is an encouragement to prayer. And if that is how Paul instructs prayer, then I thought we would read both passages today and then dive into them. So Philippians chapter 1, 3 through 11 is the opening prayer. I thank my God in all of my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, always making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it through to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Well, it's right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. You are all partakers, partners with me in the grace of Jesus, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and the praise of God. So here we have Paul praying for, now remember, he is a prisoner, right? And the death sentence is looming over his head. And yet he is praying for the church in Philippi to have strength and confidence and knowledge and unity. And he's expressing his love for the church in Philippi. He is demonstrating a life of prayer. He understands that the life of a Christian is to be one in prayer. Now, okay, let me ask you a question. Let's be honest with one another, right? Because we're family. When you are in your deepest struggles, okay, when things are just in line, right, for lack of a better terminology, that's the official Greek, right, um, is your first inclination to pray for the joy and the, the perseverance and the, and the blamelessness of your friends? Yeah, that, <laughs> I love the honesty. That'd be a, that'd be a no. Um, right, right. That's the natural inclination, right? So when you're in the Greek, right, your natural inclination is, oh Lord, help me. I am miserable. Fix my circumstances. Paul is in prison. He's you know suffering. He's reliant 
completely on the kindness of the church to provide for his food and his clothing and his supplies. Right? Um, he is, as it were, incredibly desperate. His life is... But what does he do? He prays for the church. He thanks God for his friends. He's not praying for his circumstances. That's interesting to me, right? There's something that he's modeling there that is um, a different kind of perspective on life, a different kind of uh, focus on the kingdom than perhaps I innately have in myself. Um, so there's that example of prayer. Then if you flip to chapter 4, right, verses 4 through 6, he ends the book with talking about prayer. And we sang this today. I love that. <clears throat> rejoice in the Lord always. And again, say rejoice. Clap, clap, right? <laughs> Did anybody else do it in their head? Okay. <laughs> rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your reasonableness, otherwise translated as gentleness, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. He's telling them to do what he was doing in the first chapter, right? He's telling them, listen, rejoice in God, and he rejoiced, he even used those verbiages, he wasn't anxious, but he took his requests to God. His requests were God-focused in chapter 1, that the church would be made blameless. This is, Paul had this understanding about prayer, this communication with God that was different than mine is, if I'm really honest. I'm all like, God, I need. God, help me. God, and, and yes, I pray for other people, right? But if push comes to shove, my prayer life is oftentimes about me and me focused. And Paul's prayer life is most often not about himself, but about other people. Um, Paul had this really unique perspective on prayer. Um, I, I asked a question on Facebook this week um, because I was wrestling with what prayer is. I was wrestling with how to define prayer um, and you can look it up in the dictionary, right? And so I didn't want to be the guy, I mean, occasionally I am, who's like, Webster's defined prayer as. Um, so, but I mean, I looked it up, right? And it was pretty much what you would expect the definition of prayer to be, right? Talking with God. And I was curious what other people thought prayer was. Um, and so I posted on Facebook, helped pastor out, right? Define prayer for me. And, and I really wanted to hear from people who were Christians but I also wanted to hear from people who were not Christians. I want to understand what people understand prayer to be. And I learned some things. Um, I learned uh, from a friend of mine who's an atheist that um, for him, prayer is an internal dialogue, um, a conversation to encourage oneself. Uh, that, that's, that's an interesting um, way to find for him a uh, a source of comfort and joy. It's a self-motivation talk almost, as it were. Um, a lot of my Christian friends responded with a lot of things like talking to God, 
um, listening to God, a way to know God, um, a way to get something from God. Some people in, in private message uh, were a little more honest and they said, listen, sometimes prayer is a way that I try and manipulate God, right? If we're honest, right? Um, sometimes prayer is when I bargain with God. I heard that one. Um, and, and we understand prayer to be, uh, at least at its base level, a communication process by which the created communicates with the creator for a variety of reasons and in a variety of ways. And when we teach small children, we teach them praying hands, right? So their hands are clasped together, right? And their eyes are closed and their mouths are shut, right? Um, and we do that not because that's the most holy way to pray, right? But because little kids get distracted, right? And so if we put their hands together, suddenly they're not touching their neighbors, right? And if we remind them to close their mouth, suddenly they're not jib-jabbering about, you know, the dinosaur that they want to have as a pet and all these kinds of things. Not that these things aren't valid. They're totally valid, right? But when we talk to God, we want to teach a certain kind of reverence for it. And so we grow up with this understanding of prayer. You know what I mean, right? We all do it every Sunday, right? Um, and... And, and oh, my phone is on the thing. Dang it, I was going to, I forgot to get the quote. I was, I'm reading a book, um, and, and, and the, the author included a little quote above uh, the first chapter. You know, sometimes authors do that, and they do a little, little quote about something. And, uh, and the quote was about prayer, and it kind of wrecked my brain a little bit. Um, and I'm going to butcher the quote, but the general idea was, what if prayer isn't this nice dialogue that we have in church? What if prayer isn't fancy words? What if prayer is really bargaining and really begging and really raw? Then he went on in the chapter to explain that one time he was in church and their church, the way they had it, they prayed every Sunday and they left it open for people to pray whatever was on their heart. And a young woman stood up and some very terrible things had happened to her in her life. She had been uh, molested and abused in some ways and she stood up and she prayed, God, I hate you for what happened to me. And I didn't even like the people around me in church who tried to tell me the truth about you. And she dialogued out loud about the rawness of her life. What if prayer was more like that? What if that's how prayer is supposed to be? Really honest, really raw, really like whatever is here comes out. Um, not tame, as it were. And so I started to really wrestle with what is prayer? And are we praying like this because it's how we were always taught? Or is our prayer really, really, uh, uh, you know? <laughs> I'm assuming the Holy Spirit will translate that. Uh, okay. um, so I ran across some definitions of prayer that I think get at it a little better, okay? Um, and I think this is one of them, okay? Expressing who you are to Jesus in hopes of becoming who he created you to be in him. Um, if we are honest in prayer, when we express who we are to him, we are expressing our needs, our wants, our desires, our very who we are. And sometimes, I love my daughter when she was three, she prayed a prayer that I thought was so honest one time that I thought, 
I don't, I don't know if I could pray with all of my training and all of my Bible knowledge. My prayers sound dumb compared to this prayer. It was the best prayer I've ever heard. She prayed one night. She said, Dear Jesus, thank you for my sin. It was fun. Amen. <laughs> we laughed. I laughed, right? How real is that? Right? God is working on her heart in that moment because she was honest. She wasn't trying to pretend to be anything she wasn't. She was expressing who she was in that moment, right? To God, fully trusting that he was hearing her and that he was going to shape her, you know, to be more like him. But if we hold back in prayer parts of who we are, even though he knows those parts, the fact that we are holding them back is denying God the access. Not that he can't, but he doesn't force himself upon us. When we are fully honest and fully expressing who we are, whatever that state happens to be, to God in transparency, he has been given permission to come in and help us look more like him. So I think this is a really interesting definition of prayer. Uh, expressing who you are to Jesus in hopes of becoming who he created you to be in him. That's the Pauline language there, right? There's a second definition I ran across. And again, I like this one. And so I don't know if I can settle on one. Maybe I, it's a both and kind of thing for me. Um, a habit of attention. I could stop right there. <laughs> a habit of attention focused on the heart and the voice of the creator okay, that affects a change in the perspective, character, and lifestyle of the prayer. The habit of attention. Um, Paul had this habit of focusing on Christ. He had this habit of, you can read it, on Christ, in Christ, to Christ, of Christ, by Christ, through Christ, right? All the prepositions we studied last week. His attention was focused on Christ and Christ's kingdom. And because of that continual habit, his character, his perspective, his lifestyle was changed. He wasn't faking anything when he was sitting in a jail cell praying for the well-being and the blamelessness of the church in Philippi. His perspective, his character, his desire was that of Christ Jesus because he spent so much time focused on Christ Jesus, that he began to look like Jesus, think like Jesus, talk like Jesus, act like Jesus, suffer like Jesus, pray like Jesus. Jesus spent a good chunk of his time praying. Something I learned this week, this isn't in my notes, this is a free nugget for y'all. Something I learned this week that I never thought about before. I never thought about it. I mean, how many of you have prayed and felt like God didn't answer your prayers? Anybody want to be, okay? Like, right? like, like you pray and you're like, that's not the answer I wanted. You pray and you pray and you pray for years and you still don't get the answer and you wonder, is he listening? Am I dialing the right number here? Like, is this, is this falling on deaf ears? Does he care about me? And so we struggle with this as humans. And then you read about how Jesus prayed and God directed in this direction and the Holy Spirit moved in this direction and all these kinds of things. And then the author of this book that I'm reading said, Jesus knows everything that you struggle with, right? Because he struggled in every way 
that humans have struggled. And I get that, right? Because we talk about that in terms of sin and temptation. He was always tempted, but he'd never sinned, which is great. But if he struggled in every way I struggled, then he too understood what it was like to have unanswered prayers. And that's where the author, I stopped and I'm like, whoa, dude, this is Jesus. He doesn't have unanswered prayers. And then the author said, read John chapter 17. And John chapter 17 is the prayer of Jesus. And Jesus spends the entire chapter praying this beautiful prayer. And part of Jesus' prayer is, Lord, make my disciples one. Like I am with you, so you are with me and let them be in me like I am in you and unite them all. You want to know what? That prayer still hasn't been answered. And I, my mind just went, <laughs> you know what I mean? Jesus still has a prayer. He is petitioning on our behalf that has yet to be answered. He knows what it's like to have an unanswered prayer. And he keeps praying. And so we can learn from Jesus' example. We can learn from Paul's example that to have this mind in Christ Jesus means to continually have a habit of attention focused on the heart and voice of Jesus. It will affect our mindset on life. And even if we have prayers that seem unanswered, that's okay. You want to know why? We're not God. We don't need all the answers. We just need to have a, a habit of attention focused on God. Um, let's see. Uh, I want to go back to Philippians chapter 4 for a moment, okay? Uh, there are four things. I tried to color market them here, but it didn't work so well. Four things. Joy, gentleness, fighting anxiety, and peace. This is Paul's plan. Okay? He lays it out for the Philippians. Okay? And it says this. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Okay? Um, I can't do it without that. Uh, you should have seen me in my office this week preparing. Let your reasonableness or gentleness... Be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So he's saying, listen, if you want to understand joy, if you want to have the mind of Jesus, if you would like to have a life that is peaceful, here is the way you should go about things. This is what has worked in my life. This is what is proving fruitful in my life. Therefore, uh, as I have demonstrated for you, now also do joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. Okay? We've looked at this word for several weeks now. We know that the word rejoice is a word that means to rest in, to completely put your full weight on the grace of God. Therein is your joy, fully trusting in the grace of God. Because God will never disappoint you, right? So our joy comes from fully resting in, trusting on the grace of God. Now, in this passage, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. This is a command. Thank you, Jim. This is a command. Paul is using a command language. You will rejoice in the Lord always. You need to rejoice. This is not a, you should rejoice. Rejoice when you feel like it. No, 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 no. This is a definitive statement. Rejoice. It's like when I tell my kid, clean your room. I'm not asking, right? I'm not hoping 
I'm using my authority as a father figure to say, clean your room, right? There's the weight here. Rejoice in the Lord always. Let your full weight rest upon the grace of God always. Again, I'm telling you, let your full weight of everything in your life rest on the grace of God. This um, word, though, it's not just a command. It's an interesting command. In the original Greek, it's a plural command. Um, uh, and it's a present tense word. So for those of you, again, that are grammar people, um, it is a present tense plural form of the word rejoice. When you're like, who cares, right? Okay, so let me tell you why this is important. Um, first off, present tense means it's continual. He's not telling you to rejoice once. The form of the word means you are to be in continual rejoicing. Your life is to be one that is marked by rejoicing. Uh, every day rejoicing. A habit of rejoicing. Um, as Christians, we always have a reason to rejoice. Why? Jesus died for our sins and rose again on the third day and has granted us entrance into the kingdom of heaven. We are not beggars. We get to receive from the table that the king eats at, right? Is there any other thing that should cause us more joy? No, we can always rejoice. He is telling us our life is to be marked by continual rejoicing. It is a present tense, always happening word, right? But it's plural. So beyond just being, I, Peter, rejoice, this word says, as a body of believers, as Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene, we are to be continually living a life of rejoicing together, all together. Our mutual testimonies cause us to rejoice. We are to find joy when we are together. We are to encourage one another when we are together. Our church should be defined by the joy of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. This is what this command means. It's not just find happiness when it's convenient. It means your life and your church is supposed to be marked by the joy of the kingdom of God. That's significant, right? So that's how he starts um, with uh, the command to joy. The second part, he says, is let your gentleness be known to everyone. That's another command. Let your sounds kind of polite in the English. But in the Greek, it's a command. Command to joy, command to gentleness. The way this word gentleness is used um, in the original language is the same way that it is used um, when it talked about Jesus going like a sheep before the... You know, and he went meekly and with gentleness. So the idea here is you will face trials of many kinds. And when you do, let your gentleness be known. Gentleness in the face of trial is what this is saying. It doesn't just mean be polite to people, right? It doesn't just mean let people walk all over you or try and keep the peace by whatever means necessary, even if it's unbiblical. It means when you are persecuted, because the church in Philippi was in a Roman, it was a Roman colony, right? And so there was great persecution for the Christian church. When you come against trials, let your gentleness be known. Not the fire of your flesh, but the gentleness of Christ. Okay? 
And then he continues, the Lord is at hand. Um, commentaries, uh, commentators, smart people, smarter than me, who sit around and study all the language all the time, this, 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 this sentence, Lord at hand, um, it's, they say it's weird. It doesn't fit the rest of the context. It's, it's almost like they can't figure out why he put it in there. Um, he says there's this command to join, this command to be gentle, and then there's this, hey, guys, you should be praying, but somewhere in the middle is like the Lord is at hand. And they wonder what Paul is getting at. It doesn't mean that the day of the Lord is drawing near, and so you better get your heart right. Or it doesn't mean that literally Jesus is with you all the time through the power of the Holy Spirit. They aren't quite sure what Paul meant here. So all we know is what Paul said. The Lord is near. Is he near to you in the sense of helping you have joy? Helping you have gentleness? I think for me that's what I want to read into that. I want to read into that when I don't think I can do it on my own, the Lord is near. If I don't think I can be gentle, Christ will give me his gentleness. If I don't have joy... Christ is there, and I can look at him and find joy. One of the greatest pieces of advice I ever got from my mentor was when, when you're in a very difficult situation and you're just, your palms are sweating and you don't want to be there and it's, it's conflict or it's anxiety-driven or all these kinds of things that we go through, he, says, he said, just look in a corner. I said, that's weird. He said, no, 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 look in the corner and see Jesus there. Jesus is always there. So look for him when you're in a difficult situation. The Lord is near. And so I find this to be encouraging. It's kind of like a reminder. Yes, joy is the life that you are commanded to have. Yes, you are supposed to have the gentleness of Christ. But guess what? The Lord is always near you. You can always rely on him to bring those things to you. And then he continues. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving... Let your requests be made known to God. Um, the word anxiety here, anxious here, is a word that means dual-minded or split self. You ever get really anxious, um, really nervous about something, and you feel like you're just torn in half? Um, that's literally what the word it means. I mean, it literally means your identity is split. Um, your flesh is being ripped apart by this anxiety, and and... And God says, listen, when you are anxious, when you are split, when your mind is uh, just dual-minded, your attention is uh, scattered to various things in your anxiety, you can fight the anxiety by taking it to prayer. And with thankfulness, let God know what your problems are. With thankfulness, let God know what your problems are. That's key, right? Um, because I'm thankful I have life. I'm thankful I have breath. I'm thankful I have a home. I'm thankful I have a church. I'm thankful God saved me from my sins, right? I have much to be thankful for. But in those moments of deep anxiety, God says, come with thankfulness and let your dual-mindedness be brought to God. Bring What's that definition that we used? Um, expressing who you are to Jesus, if who I am is completely wracked by anxiety, and I bring all of that before God, it says that the result will be peace. Um, let your supplications and requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which will blow your mind, is basically the translation there, 
surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. If you take all that you are, Paul says, and give it to God in prayer, he will take everything that is divided about you and bring wholeness in him. That's what that peace is. That sense of peace that you feel that surpasses all understanding and you can't understand it, it's because for the first time you are experiencing wholeness in that moment. And Christ is the only one who can give it to you. The only one who can bring you wholeness and unite that dual-minded self into someone that is as you are supposed to be in Christ is Christ. A habit of attention spent in prayer is essential. Um, Paul uses the term guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus because uh, they lived in Philippi and there was the Praetorian Guard there. Um, it was uh, many, many, many Roman soldiers, a huge guard. They were constantly looking. And their job, the Praetorian Guard, was to constantly be on guarded shift around the city to protect the city, right? Paul is saying, listen, you look around the city of Philippi and you see the guards on the walls of the city and you see how they are constantly defending the city against attack. What I want you to know is the peace of God will do that for your heart and your mind. It will always be on guard for you. It will always be there patrolling the perimeter to keep your heart and your mind safe in Christ Jesus, peaceful in Christ Jesus, gentle in Christ Jesus, full of joy in Christ Jesus. But the way this happens, Paul says, is prayer. The way you receive these things is through prayer. I want to read two verses and then we'll close with prayer. Um, There's a, a verse in Isaiah and a verse in Job. Let me... Okay. Isaiah 56, 7, if you're taking notes. I will bring these to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. This is in Isaiah. What does God say? Well, if you read the context, I will bring all of my scattered people together to my holy mountain and I will make them joyful in my house of prayer. We find joy in the house of prayer and then Okay. Um, Isaiah, or I'm sorry, Job 33, 22 through 28. And this might be you this morning. Maybe you're struggling with something. Maybe you understand that split self, dual-minded anxiety, and if I'm honest, I'm there this morning. Maybe this verse relates with you. His soul is drawing near the pit, and his life to those who bring death. If there be for him an angel, a mediator, one man of a thousand to declare to man what is right for him, and that man is merciful to him and says, deliver him from going down into the pit. I found the ransom. Let his flesh become flesh with youth. Let him return to the days of youthful vigor. This is a prayer, by the way. And then the man prays to God, and God accepts him. And he sees his face with a shout of joy, And he restores to man his righteousness. 
And then he sings before men and says, I sinned and perverted what was right, but it was not repaid to me. He redeemed my soul from going down into the pit. My life will look upon the light. God has saved us from great things. We have much to rejoice over. And over and over and over again in scripture, God draws the parallel to prayer and joy. And so this morning, let us pray with joy and anticipation and thanksgiving. And the team will come up and lead us in a song. And if you feel so um, desiring of a need to receive the communion elements this morning, to take with joy the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, to say, I take this with joy because God died for me and rose for me that I might have this joy, then come and receive. We have a handful of elements available for you. If you want to come pray at the altar with joy, come pray at the altar with joy. If you want to pray in your seats, pray at your seats. If you want to mark your Bible, mark the family Bible. But the command is to have joy. And that is only found through a habit of attention focused on Christ. Lord, we come to you this morning with a whole bunch of who we are. We come from difficult weeks and uh, hard situations and great situations and excitements and hopes for the future and all of the stuff that is life. It's all of what we are and we bring it to all of who you are and we say, take all of what we are and would you make it whole? Would you make us in your image this morning, Father? Would you mend our broken hearts, restore our broken joy to that which is your joy? Would you give us kingdom sight this morning so that we may see beyond what is directly in front of us and look at the hope and the joy that is set before us? May we have this mind which was in Christ Jesus. And we pray you would grant it to us as we submit ourselves to you in prayer and in worship this morning. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ who died to make us holy that we pray. Amen. You've just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. To learn more about our church or to support our ministries, you can visit ktnnaz.org. Thank you.